It's great to be here. This is my second time. It's kind of interesting that thought that three years ago today, I was at the first gathering of this body when they were considering to plant this church. And what an honor it is to come back. Thank you for the invitation. That's Brian and both great to be here. And uh, it really is exciting to be here. We have seen uh, the frozen tundra. We, uh, when we left on Friday morning, Thursday, in the Bay Area, it was 70 degrees and sunny. My wife was wearing a heavy winter jacket that day. She was a little concerned about what she might do if I arrived here. But so far, with long johns, gloves, many scarves, she is surviving. But uh, we have had cheese curds. Never had that before. We'll get the squeaky ones before we leave. I'm not sure what, what that means, but we'll have to leave. Uh, I have brought. We're going to have to do that. Um, we had frozen custard. I needed to do that. We went to Lambeau Field, and I had my picture taken with all of the Vince Lombardi trophies. The only thing that's left is Jesus needs to come back. My life is complete. I feel like I've seen it all. I've had it all, and I've been there and done that. So uh, we're really, we are really excited to be here. Um, and I want to say this. My intention was a message that I'm not going to speak today. I had a message prepared that I had kind of sensed God was directing me, but early this morning the Lord awakened me and uh, really gave me a direction that I think is very appropriate for this body, for all of you, and for this season in your life. And that being said, I'm going to ask if you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, chapter 1. While you're turning to that, uh, my wife and I do pastor actually in the East Bay. We're about 30 miles due east of San Francisco. And uh, we've been up there 10 years. I'm a native to Southern California. Spent my whole life in the beach communities in uh, Surf City, USA, in that, that region of California. Uh, we have two children our son is 33, our daughter is 35, we have five grandkids, ranging from 3 to 18. How many grandparents do we have? Aren't they wonderful? I mean, grandchildren are the reward for not killing your own. <laughs> they really are. It's a wonderful life to ruin lives and send them home. Really what our call is is grandparents, and uh, we really do enjoy investing in our grandkids. We are, uh, I think I have my work cut out, we're trying to teach them Bible stories. Both of our kids serve the Lord, but I feel it kind of been coming upon me as their grandfather. And they're always asking me to tell them stories about Jesus. So I'm always, uh, I've, I've had to be as creative because I told them every story I know. Now I start to tell one and they'll look at each other and say, oh, we've heard this one. So now I'm venturing throughout the Old Testament. I'm trying to take it apart story by story to have more ammo. But I think I need to work some more. Our youngest one, Isabella, who is three. The other day she walks by her mother and Izzy looks at mom and said, Mommy, Jesus is tired. And she goes, what's that? She goes, yeah, Jesus is sick and tired. And I figured, well, having to deal with all of us, that might be true. But her theology isn't quite straight because the next thing she told her mom is, Mom, does Jesus have a gun? Now, I'm not so sure where she got that, but I think I have my work cut out to straighten out her theology. Nonetheless, uh, we really enjoyed being uh, parents and being grandparents. And again, great to be here with all of you. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse number 1, and we're going to read through verse number 9. Please follow in your Bible as I read it aloud. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, 
The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite and Pisgah, according to, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Plav, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham. Excuse me. Are all of you following me there in your Bibles? How many of you know that I skipped all the way back to the last part of the book of Deuteronomy and none of you said anything? <laughs> I was so excited with the word. Now we're going to go back to what I was supposed to read. Verse number six. Let's start it there. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this wonderful time of dedication. The Lord, I'm also grateful for the opportunity to look into your word and to find application for it, for all of us. And Lord, may you by your spirit stir our hearts, not only in the excitement of what you have done, but in anticipation of what you will yet do. I pray, God, that every heart and every mind would be open and ready to receive what you have for us today. We will participate by being attentive and by being interested and by being willing to do all that you command. So work your work in us. I pray today in the name of Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? amen. The story we have read here is a story of a situation that began more than 40 years ago, what we have read. And that's the story of the children of Israel coming to a place where God had promised to give them a land. They had already been at this place of crossing once before, as recorded in the book of Numbers. God had delivered them out of the hand of Egypt and out of Pharaoh and given them great victory. They had come to the edge of this promised land. Some of you might be familiar with the story. In the process, they sent some spies over into this land of promise that they were going to be given. And of the 12 spies, 10 of them came back and said, there's no way we can pull this off. There's only two of them that had the spirit inside of them to say, we can do it. But because of the rebellion in the hearts of the people, God sent them out to wander in the desert for 40 years. Now, though we might just pass over that scripture as being well, they had to take a detour. I want you to understand the significance of it and follow me here. If you were to take this entire group of people that were extricated from the land of Egypt, it's estimated there were about 2 million of them. How many of you know that's a big crowd? 
How many know that's a big crowd to try to navigate and negotiate and lead? Especially when some of them didn't like you as their leader. Moses had that task. For 40 years, they're traveling in the desert. If you took this 2 million people and divide them into 12 groups, or the 12 tribes, or the 12 family groups of Israel, only two of those family groups, those of Joshua and those of Caleb, would survive the 40-year journey and come back to enter the Promised Land. The others, from the age of maturity and above, they all died in the wilderness. Do some calculations when you get home about how many people that is that died every single day while they were traveling. There were so many people, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that died, that all of the while they were walking, if you were far enough back in the pack, you were stepping over dead bodies every single day. So many people died because of their disobedience. And eventually God brought them back to the same place of crossing. Though this is not my message, it's a good lesson to learn. When God intends for you to do something... He's going to make sure that you come back to the same place. If you decide, well, I don't want to do that, God. If it's God's God's intention to lead you in a direction, eventually he's going to bring you back to the same place of crossing. And that's where we are here. They've come back to the same place. Now they're getting ready to go in the land once again. Now there are three things in this story that I want to bring to your attention that I think are very applicable to this body and what the future of this body is. If you're in the habit of writing down notes, maybe it would be good for you to remember these and mark them for you and for the future of the church. Three things that I see in this text. The first one is this, is that they had to accept the obvious of their current circumstance. They had to accept what was happening now. It's kind of obvious there that God begins this in this text. Moses, my servant, is dead. If you would read the latter part of Deuteronomy, you will find that for a month, for 30 days, they had been weeping and crying over their leader that had passed. And now they have a new leader ready to take them into this place of promise. I think we have to accept the obvious as to where you are and where this church is. When God was stirring my heart early on, I thought, what a great analogy. Uh, Pastor Arning, a great friend of ours, we've known him for a number of years. He's spoken at our church. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, Arning's kind of like the Moses. Now, I know he might be offended by me equating him to a very old guy. That isn't the intent. But he's kind of like a man who has had this vision, a man who has had this passion, a man who has led in this region for many, many years. And many lives have been impacted by the ministry of him. But you also need to embrace the obvious that for this community, it had a Moses, but now it has a Joshua. Now another leader that God has raised up to facilitate the vision and to continue in the direction that God has intended for the people. And a lot of times we don't like to accept the obvious. What we'd rather do is think about the past. Remember, anytime you pine for the past, you do not accept your future. Anytime you look back and say, oh, I remember when. You know, I've always kind of made fun of uh, people who are older than me. I know at my age, it's kind of hard to do that now. But, uh, you know, I always hear the story is, why, when I was your age? I used to think when they talk about the good old days, they were half right. They were old. You know, the stories my dad would tell, some of you have probably heard these stories. Why, when I was your age, son? What do you mean you need gas for your car? When I was your age, we used to walk 30 miles barefoot, 10 feet of snow. 
at home, always uphill. You know the story. Never made sense to me. I'm going, come on, Dad. That's old days, but it doesn't sound very good. When we were your age, you better eat that food. When we were your age, we ate rocks. You know all the stories that dads and older people had. And they'd finish up and say, and we were thankful. Why? Why were you thankful for the old days like that? But you know, sometimes, now that I'm getting to that age, I'm starting to look and say, why when I was your age? I was, we had it tough. Well, you know what? There are dynamics of each of our past that we would look at and say, they really were good days. They were really significant days, and they marked our life for the cause of God. But the moment we spend the substance of our time thinking about the past, we never will possess our future. And the dedication of this church and the collection of all of you being a part of Life Church, you have to understand this is not your destination. This is just a place of passing. And though God has done great things, if all we do is spend our time recollecting what has happened, we will never march forward to the goodness and the greatness that God has determined for this body. So if you pine for the past, you will never possess your future. What God has done has been miraculous. I was talking to Pastor Ryan yesterday and just sharing all of the things from the, uh, the, the property and even the cost of building this. This is absolutely amazing what God has done here. It's absolutely staggering what God has done. And sometimes when we come to mark moments of our life, we want to set up camp and we want to stay there. Hear me, my friend. This is only one victory of many that God yet has for this church. This is not the place you set up camp. This is a place where you pass. You go from this to accept and to believe that God has more for you and more for this body. He has greater miracles than what you have ever imagined. He has greater impact for this community than what any of you have ever seen, regardless of your longevity. God has more. And you have to accept what is obvious. God has transitioned to many of you through some seasons of your life. Some of them may have been glorious, some not so comfortable. But embrace the obvious that God has brought you to this moment and has given you a leader who gives direction to the body. And it's interesting that over and over again, God says, just like I was with Moses, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Just as the direction and the power and, and the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit has been in Arnie's life and perhaps other leaders who have impacted you. So now God has raised up a new leader who will continue to lead you in the direction God has for you. Does anybody say amen around here? Amen. Let me just assure you of the fact that the length of my message is directly proportionate to your response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now you're saying amen. I get it. But there ought to be something in us that says we, we accept what is obvious. You know, change is almost natural to oppose when it's forced on us. You know, when you initiate change, we're going, yay, you got them home. When it seems like somebody's forcing us, we're all going, wait, wait, we need, to, we need to have a committee meeting. We need to develop a think tank. Let's process a little bit. Might I remind you, if you read through the Bible, that direction and vision never came, never came through consensus. Matter of fact, there were more times in the Bible where the majority was wrong than when they were ever right. Direction always came. The word of the Lord came to Joshua. God spoke to Moses and said, you see, God always works within the frame of leadership. 
And what God has blessed you with is great leaders. What God has graced you with is people who hear from Him. And as long as we embrace the obvious, it sets us up for what the future will be. So the first is that we have to accept what is obvious. The second is this. We acknowledge the promise. What has God promised to this body? Why is it that he has chosen this place, this time, and this moment? Do all of you realize there are no casual activities from God? Everything God does, he does for a purpose. Everything he does is a setup for the next thing he's going to do. God has no casual activity, no nonchalant interests. Everything he does, he does so he can promote the next thing he is ready to do. This church is here in this place, in this city, in this region of Green Bay for a purpose. God has brought all of you to this church for a purpose. God has established this place. And it's such a great honor to meet your mayor. Thank you for being here. And, and this church has a place here. Do all of you realize that? That there are yet lives that need to be impacted in this region? There are people who need to get saved. And that's why God called this church and all of you to be a part of that. There are bodies that need to be healed. There are marriages that need to be transformed. There are youth that are running away. There are parents who are disgusted because of the choices of their children. There are children who are angst with their parents. There's husband and wives that don't get along, except for when they step in public life to save face. This church is here for a reason. Lives need to be impacted through the ministry of this body. It's what you've been called to do. Jesus said we are light and we are salt. You're all here to shake and shine. God's given all of you something to reach this community with. I'm going to give you a challenge. What I tell our church. Our job is to make heaven bigger and hell smaller. And I, I want it to be hard to go to hell in my area. I want, I want people to know Jesus Christ. I want them to know there's hope. I want them to know that in the midst of all of the turmoil of their life, that there's at least one place in our community, in the city of Livermore, where every time they come, even though they may not even be able to explain what this Holy Spirit is that they sent, they need to be able to walk through a door that welcomes them. They need to find a warm handshake. They need to find a smile. They need to find someone who's interested in them. And they need to understand that when they enter into such a safe environment, they will find the only hope for their life, and that's in Jesus Christ. This church is here for a purpose. It should be like a lighthouse. That those who are sailing in very tumultuous seas, that out there in the distance, they see a light that brings them direction. They see a light that brings them to safe harbor. And through the ministry of this church, it must be. God hasn't intended to plant you here so that we can all become this mutual admiration society. So we can all hug and love on each other and become such a tight community that it is impenetrable by anyone from the outside. You are all here because somebody cared for you. You hear me? You are all here because somebody cared for you. You're here because somebody prayed for you. You're here because somebody reached out to you. You're here because somebody at work talked to you and befriended you. You're here because somebody somewhere impacted your life and that impact led 
for you to have an encounter with Jesus. Now it's your job. The initial, my initial message was this, so you know. It took a miracle and a lot of hard work. But sometimes we just say, oh God, we need you to do another miracle. Well, maybe God's waiting for you to do something first. Follow the course of history, throughout history, other than created, the creative act in the book of Genesis, it seemed like everything else God did, he had people do something first, and then he took up the slack. In my experience... That God performs the miraculous. But what he asked me to do is to do my part first. I reach my hand that far. If what needs to happen is here, God takes it up on that end, not the front end. God's always asking me to do my part first, and then he takes the rest of it that I can't do. God will do for you what you can never do for yourself, if you will do what you can do. You sit around and wait, oh God, do a miracle. Oh wait, God, perform me. You say, well, when are you going to get busy? Let's meet halfway here. Let's make it a partnership. You do your part. You reach out. You love. You care. You pray. And in that process, he does do the miraculous. God has marked this church for a purpose and an intent. And he's marked all of you to be a part of that. He has marked you to be a part of what he wants to do to impact this entire region for the sake of his kingdom. So we need to not only accept the obvious, we need to acknowledge the promise, what God has promised He would do through this body. The third one is this. I'm watching the clock. I'm so used to seeing one back there. When I look down like this, I'm not, I'm, I'm not humble. I'm actually looking to see what time it is. Actually, how many of you know when a pastor does that? He doesn't mean much anyway. <laughs> I have a big clock in the back of our church and every so often I go like this. And it gives warmth to the people's heart like I really care how late the service is going. I'll finish what I, I, I won't take that much latitude. Even if I do, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> I won't take that much latitude and I won't watch the clock. But I digress. Number three, we accept the obvious, acknowledge the promise, and number, number three, we activate our destiny. We activate our destiny. I want to point out some things that God promised he would do as long as the people were doing what they were supposed to do. There are four things that God said he would do to these people as they impacted their world. Number one is this. He said, I'm never going to leave you. I will never leave you. He says it in verse 5. I'm never going to leave you. I I know, I'm pretty confident I'm speaking to the right crowd here. There are times where I do feel like I'm alone. Anybody ever feel that way? Like that. I'm kind of out here hanging by myself. I kind of feel like the prophet who says, I'm the only one left, God. None of these people have anything. You know what? Understand this. God gave this promise to Joshua, to these people. Jesus reiterated it in his teaching where he said, and I will be with you always. God never leaves us. In your darkest moment, God is there. You know, in the, New, in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, it talks about God being the God of the darkness. Now, I know that it's not an oxymoron because the Bible says God, that he is the light, and him is light, but he's also the God of the darkness. Not so much that he shrouds himself in darkness for some place of hiding, as much as he knows we walk through shadowy areas. There are times when it's dark, when it's dismal, when it doesn't look too bright. It's good to know that even in that darkness, He is there. 
is the God that works in the dark. He will never leave you, my friend. Will this church meet with some challenge? I hope so. If you have no problems, maybe you pose no threat to darkness. So if you're doing things that are right and really advancing the kingdom, how many of you know Jesus says the kingdom advances through violence? The violent taken by force. There's a dynamic to the fact that we are engaged in a spiritual war. And sometimes there are casualties in that war. But in the midst of every conflict, the one thing you need to have solid in your heart, infused to the depth of your character and in your mind, is he's never going to leave us. We may be engaged in battle, but the victory will always be ours. We may meet with resistance, but in the end, we win. Somebody should say amen to that too. We win. God has called this church to do things for the sake of his kingdom, and you as a church body will always meet with success in the end. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for a church bemoaning all of the problems. He's not coming back for a church that's hiding somewhere underneath the rock with their white hankies waving saying, Oh, please, Lord, hurry up and come back. It says he's coming back for a radiant church, a glorious church. He's coming back for a victorious church. He's coming back for life church. Amen. You have to accept the destiny. And with that comes the promise, he's never going to leave you, folks. Never will he leave you. The other part of the destiny is you have to accept the responsibility to do everything his word says. His word can never be left to negotiation. Listen, we do not have the option to pick and choose what we obey in God. It's an all or nothing proposition. I guess you could take the theological stance of being neo-Orthodox. There's this basically three veins of how people interpret the scripture, the orthodox, neo-orthodox, and then the liberal. The, the liberal says that the, the Bible can, uh, it contains the word of God. You know, there's parts of it that are really God's word, parts of it that are just subjective man's opinion, fables and stories and fairy tales. And I guess you can take that position if you want, if you don't mind being wrong. Or there's the neo-orthodox that says, you know, the the Bible becomes the Word of God. You know, it contains the Word of God and it becomes the Word of God. I'm of the Orthodox view which says the Bible is the Word of God. A top course is on bibliology, how this book came to us, how the text came to us, the accuracy of the text handed to us down through the centuries. My friend, everything points to the fact that this doesn't become, it doesn't contain, but it is God's holy word. And if it's God's holy word, if it's God's holy word, we're not given much of an option but to obey it and live. We're not given the point to argue it. We're not given the point to debate whether or not it applies to us. How creative our minds are. Because often when we are exposed to this word, we're looking for ammo on how we can straighten out the world. We think, oh boy, so-and-so needs this. Oh man, I wish my husband was here to hear this message. I, well, maybe you don't say that. They say that in California. <laughs> A lot of times we're reading the word looking for ammo, what we can do to everybody else. Remember, 
The Bible can't do anything through you until it does something to you. You become the recipient of His Word. Because then the Bible said that we speak and teach one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. The verse right before that says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. It has to be in you first. We don't have the option to go through it and say, well, I like this part. Oh, I don't know about that. I'll take that one out. You know, read through it once more and tell me if you find any multiple choices in this book. There aren't any. There aren't, you can do A, you can do B, you can do C, you can do none of the above. No, there isn't that. God gives commands, not suggestions. And in order to really activate the destiny of this church, there needs to be unanimity among all of us here to say, whatever He says, we will do it. All of the miracle life of Jesus Christ began in one place, and it was at a wedding reception. Some of you might be familiar with the story. Jesus goes there with his mom and some of the followers, and they run out of beverage. I mean, wine, the word wine that's used there, there's about 11 or 12 Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic words throughout the Bible that are all translated into our English word, wine. So I'm not going to get into the debate exactly what it was, but we do know this, they run out of the good beverage. And Jesus' mother turns to the men who were serving and says this simple phrase, whatever he says to you, do it. You know that that became the springboard for all the ministry work of Jesus Christ? It's based on the foundation of whatever he tells you, do it. And as long as we align ourselves with God's word, and as long as we are willing and ready to do whatever he says in this book, it sets us up to really be able to walk in our destiny. It sets us up to inherit everything he has asked us to do. So that's part of how we align ourselves and activate the destiny as we follow his word. The fourth, third one is this. We activate our destiny by being strong and courageous. Being strong and courageous. You must believe the things I said a moment ago, that God has this church and has you here for a purpose. Because when doubt comes, and when you hear the voices of those who may castigate you or say, what are you doing, or why are you there, or why are you a part of this? There has to be a voice that shouts louder than all of those, that is a voice of courage, and a voice of strength, and a voice of resolve, and a voice of confidence that says, God's going to do what he said. There's that part that takes over, that allows us to be courageous when others may cower. It allows us to be strong when others may flee. It allows us to stand strong because we know He is with us. He will never walk away. He will never abandon. He won't put us on the front line and then pull back to test our mettle. God will always be with us. Therefore, our response is, we can always be courageous. I am confident that some of you have walked through some very dire situations in your life. My wife and I have walked through very difficult situations. We pioneered a church in 1985 in a part of Orange County in Southern California that was the most expensive area in that region to live. We had two small children, and we had no money. We moved there. We had nothing but a dream, a hope, and a whole lot of prayer. And whenever difficulties came, and they did, whenever we had no money, we had no food, and we had two little children to feed, and it happened, the only thing that sustained us was we didn't have plan B. 
How many of you know if you make an exit strategy, you will eventually access it? That's why when you go into marriage, you don't go into marriage as the trial of relationship. You go in and say, I'm going to make this work somehow. We're going to grind this thing out and make it work. It's the same way with what God calls us to do. There's that confidence to say, it was the voice of God and we're going to make it. But allow us to walk through the most difficult times of our life. And miraculously, God performed. I can't even begin to tell you the stories. Money found in locked filing cabinets that we set up when we started the church. In sealed envelopes. Money appearing in envelopes on desks of locked offices that I alone had the key for. Now, I know I'm old now, and my memory isn't too good, but I was pretty sharp back then. And I knew it had to be God. Divine supply, no food, sitting at a table for dinner with our kids, and we had a bottle of ketchup. Mm. We'd sit around with our kids and thank God for dinner with nothing in the house, and within minutes, on more than one occasion, there'd be a knock at the door on this fledgling church, just a few people. Somebody said, you know, Pastor, I was buying groceries, and God said to bring you this, and a whole trunk load of groceries. Let me tell you, the way you survive in difficult times is you have courage and strength to believe. And God always comes through. You can depend on God. He will always come through. We activate our destiny by being strong and having courage. The last part of it in in verse 5, to activate your destiny, is to know this. No one can stand against you. Do you realize that? Do you know that gatherings like this make hell very nervous? The enemy's kind of worried right now. You don't realize that? If you picture that for me, it's like, I, I think I, you can almost hear it say, oh no, it's those guys again. Oh no, what are they doing? Oh, oh no, are they planning once again? What are they going to do next? How will they advance now? You see, we need to understand that to activate our destiny, we need to know that no one and nothing will be able to stand against us. If God is for us, some of you know how that finishes, who can be against us? If He is on our side, we will win. What God has determined for this body will come to fruition. The Bible says that every word that God speaks, it does not return back to Him without accomplishing what He said to do. Now, we do believe that primarily that is in reference to this written word. But I believe also that there are times when God stirs things in the hearts of people in a type of prophetic sense. Where it's a word that he gives of direction. It's a word he gives of challenge. It's a word he gives in a call to commitment. And when people hear that word, know this. If God has spoken over this body and spoken over you and you and you and you and you as a part of this body, then know this, no one is going to stand against you. You will not ever be defeated because God is on your side. And these children, as they went on and as they begin to march and as they they begin to make their way, I love where it says that he tells Joshua, everywhere your foot goes. That's going to be yours. Maybe what we ought to do is change how we're leaving the building today. Maybe when you leave today and you walk out, you say, this parking lot for the kingdom of God. This parking lot for New Life Church. And maybe some of you will go get a bite to eat today. I hope so. I'm going to have some cheese curds perhaps in my afternoon. And when I walk to that restaurant, 
When I put my foot in that parking lot, I'm going to say this parking lot for New for Life Church. And then maybe we'll go somewhere later on, drive up on the peninsula. When I get up there, I'll say, man, this peninsula for life, church, and for the kingdom of God. What if we changed our mentality instead of cowering to one of courageous and say everywhere we go, it's a marked place for the kingdom of God. It's a marked place for the impact of the church. It's a marked place for the kingdom to grow. It's a marked place for heaven to come and for hell to be pushed back. Because God has called us. I'm so excited, I don't want to go now. I'm kind of excited. I'm excited about what I said, Pastor. I really am excited for what is ahead of all of you. And I pray, my heart is, that at 5 o'clock this morning, when God was messed with me, I don't like Sunday morning surprises, I'll be honest with you. God and I argued this morning, but all of you know that that's never profitable. You don't usually win those arguments. God, I got a really nice message. Don't change this stuff now. I even sent your pastor a text already this morning saying, did you already say what the message title was? Because I I really wanted to do that other thing. But God stirred my heart for this and for this moment. I want to leave a deposit with you. Stand and understand that what God has called you to do is Embrace the obvious. Accept what has transpired in the back and in the past and prepare yourself for the future. But don't pine for what used to be, but accept for what is. Align yourself to follow and do everything God's Word tells you to do. Believe that you have a destiny as a church, destiny as a people. You have destiny as families. You have a destiny on your job. You have a destiny in your neighborhood. And the belief is that we will activate that destiny by following His Word, by believing, by being strong, by having faith, and to know He will never abandon us in the process. Would you bow your heads as we close in prayer? Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the opportunity to gather for this glorious time of dedicating this house that is Yours. And Lord, along with all of that, I pray by the power of Your Holy Spirit, that you'll ignite something in each of our lives, that we will leave here with that excitement of placing our feet throughout this region and through the territory. When we get to our homes and we step in our driveways, may it be as though we are planting our foot that this region, this neighborhood, this part of the county for your kingdom and for life church. Lord, that we will look ahead with anticipation of all you have called us to do. God, I pray uh, with what spirit you have given to me, I pray and pronounce blessing on this body, prosperity on this body, insight upon these people, the power of your spirit infused into every life. And I pray, God, you would build such a cohesive unit such a heart of commitment that as they advance in this region to help the community, to partner with the mayor and the city council and other community efforts to see this region change for the sake of your kingdom. We will do our part knowing you will do yours. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.